0: Welcome, everyone, to Davos Fingers, episode 22, Burn. I'm Scaddy. We have with us Brooke and Matt, as always. Good evening. Hey, hey, hey. Ooh, we got a triple hey this time for Matt. He's feeling energetic. So, uh, this week we'll bring you five chapters of Clash of Kings, just like always. We have this week Tyrion 5, Bran 3, Cat 2, John 2, and Theon 2. That's chapters 20 to 24, according to a wiki of ice and fire. And, uh, as always, I'd like to just remind everyone we are spoiler-free for those reading along, uh, at our pace, uh, until we get to a special segment at the end called Davos After Dark, and we'll warn you with Matt's, uh, lovely musical jingle, so, uh, plenty of time to turn it off if you don't want to be spoiled. Also, uh, been, as always, been doing a lot of, a lot of chatting with all, all the people that are interested in the fan, in the fandom of, of Gurm, and worship at, uh, at his altar, can contact us through uh, davosfingers.com, that's our Tumblr site. Email at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com, Twitter at davosfingers, or you can find us and like us on Facebook. And uh, again, just love uh, love chatting with everybody uh, and hearing what they're interested in and uh, and uh, getting great emails about, got some, an awesome email from somebody about White Tree in the village last week. It was great to interact there. But uh, yeah, keep reaching out to us. It's a lot of fun. Uh, don't have much, much, uh, news that we wanted to cover this time. I just, Matt and I recently started watching, uh, Daredevil, the Netflix original series from Marvel, and, uh, just wanted to give a quick recommendation. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. You guys have probably already heard this. We're a little behind the times on even offering this recommendation, but if you like action, which if you're reading these books, you probably like some action, uh, and you have Netflix, Seems like everybody's got Netflix uh, on demand at this point. Uh, And if you love character-driven storytelling, which again, I think if you're a fan of of Gurm's stuff, you probably do, this is a great series for it. Every single character is just fleshed out with depth, makes choices based on what a character would do, not just to drive plot. It's awesome. uh, I'm only seven episodes deep still, but uh, man, I can't rate it high enough.
1: I heard it's super gory. What's the gore factor?
2: It is. It is brutal. Uh, there, there's it is about <laughs> yes. a, there
0: is it. There's one scene, is about an eight and a
2: half or nine in in terms of brutality.
0: Wow. It's really brutal. The fight uh, scenes are incredibly good. They're really good, and they feel. I mean, look, no fight scenes are really accurate, right? Like, if you fought the way that people fight in these movies, you'd be dead tired in like ten seconds. But I feel like they. They go to some lengths to represent that actually in this. Like the guy oh, yeah. that's doing the fighting is just a normal dude. He's not super powered like Cap or something. And they show they show it affect him, and it's 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 pretty cool that way. I, on the gore factor, I don't think it's that gory. Other than there's one scene around episode four, um, or four or five that's really bad.
2: Yeah, I would say that you're you're probably right, Skad. It's probably, but it's probably still about a seven-ish on gore factor. Yeah. Uh, but then with moments of nines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> space throughout where you You just get something that's really shocking it's awesome but i agree with scad uh probably one of the best supervillain representations i have ever seen in terms of making a just a really human supervillain that you don't know whether you like him or don't like him and um and and for that matter same with daredevil himself is yeah yeah uh, and Brooks' ass is not to spoil. So, as, that's it's a Captain America character.
0: Yeah, Brooks' ass is not to spoil, so we won't give too much depth, but it it is one of the best reveals of a villain I think I've ever seen. I, I love the way mm-hmm. they've done it, it's, it's really well done. So, I told you, man. <laughs> yeah, you told me. Uh, good job. Congratulations. <laughs> you get good glory. I wasn't going to say anything, but it was me yeah it was totally (laughs) you i don't find anything on my own i just listen to others i'm not cool good job
2: (laughs) 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 okay scott i'll give you this one you can have No,
1: to hug this out later (laughs) Uh, e-hug
0: all right matt your episode or no it's it's, it's it's brooks episode sorry
1: brooks episode But it is Matt's chapter, Tyrion 5, please.
3: Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies, Tyrion, Lannister, Rorim, if you please. So um, throughout this
2: book with Tyrion and King's Landing, we've kind of gotten a little tour of uh, King's Landing through his eyes, and he takes us to one of the primary most exciting tourist attractions of all of King's Landing. So this time we're in the nether regions of the Guildhall of the Alchemists, which is a super cool uh, idea to me. I just want to learn more about these guys. They're an ancient kind of mysterious order of what we might also call pyromancers and whose reputation of late has given way to that of the Maesters of the Citadel. Their power has waned as the as the influence of the Maesters has grown throughout Westeros. So his reason for the visit to the Guild Hall, wildfire.
3: Uh, John Mayer song? Say, 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 ain't it been some kind of day? You and me been catching on like a wildfire.
2: Uh, it's a liquid substance. With roughly the consisti- consistency, they say, of lamp oil that not only burns when it's lit, but it actually seeps into substances it comes in contact with, causing them to catch fire as well. And don't forget that its fire cannot be quenched by water. It just burns until it kind of burns out. It burns until it's gone, kind of like me.
4: <clears throat>
2: wow. Uh, so uh,
3: That's
2: a short wick. Hmm. Uh. (laughs) Uh, So we find out that Cersei has actually contracted with the alchemists to produce 10,000 jars of this deadly substance. And so these jars, roughly the size of a grapefruit, are fragile and kind of meant to explode or shatter upon being thrown. And it releases the substance within – um, but they also ignite explode on their own if ignited wildfire is left in them. So it's a very volatile, kind of dangerous substance to uh, to handle. Hence, we haven't seen a lot of it lately or before. So although the process for creating the wildfire is really lengthy and precise, and they even uh, imply that there's some magic involved in making it, this this kind of top pyromancer, Helene, that's how I'm gonna pronounce his name. Feels confident in his ability to produce the 10,000 jars, noting that they already have like 8,000 with about half of them being left over from King Pyro himself, the Mad King Ares. Ares had commissioned a whole bunch to be built uh, back during his reign. He was going to keep and he kept them kind of hidden under the city to bring out in case the city was invaded and he could uh, burn the whole place down using this wildfire rather than uh, turn the city over to the invaders. So uh, keying in on Helene's suggestion to be extremely careful with the wildfire, he, Tyrion asks for as many empty jars as can be spared to be used for practice by soldiers. So the, practice, the soldiers are going to practice flinging these things from their catapults and stuff uh, uh, to make sure that they are ready to use them if and when they do need them. So, dodging Helene's offer for a private demonstration for Joffrey, which is an awfully smart move on Tyrion's part. Uh, you definitely don't want to put any type of idea <laughs> in Joffrey's head that fire cannon should be played with. Um, just let him keep shooting bunnies with the crossbows. We don't want to put fire in his hand. Um, so Tyrion takes his leave from the guild hall. Immediately, finding his secretary Bronn.com waiting for him with his messages. One secretary. from. Uh, Jason Bywater, who we remember is the Tyrion-appointed commander of the City Watch, the guy who took of Slint's place, and one from Cersei, who even uh, deigned to summon Tyrion. <laughs> yeah, you know who Tyrion's going to go see first. So Tyrion meets up with Bywater at one of the city gates to find his cousin, Cleos. Now, uh, if you've forgotten, Cleos was the captured Frey who was sent by Robb Stark with his peace terms? Remember that from a couple Catlin chapters ago, or maybe it was just the last Catlin chapter. I don't remember. So Tyrion, after reading these peace terms, correctly deduces that they'll need to reply with some terms of their own while getting some more information from Cleos about the overall state of affairs in the Riverlands with Rob. And he's actually quite content with the Lannister position. So allow these offers with the Starks to continue to go back and forth. I think he says, let Cleos ride his rump raw. Um, That sounded naughty. Uh, While Stafford, the Lannister at Casterly Rock, continues to train new troops to the eventual point that he and Tywin, who's still at Harrenhal, could crush Rob at River Run between them. So he's kind of content playing the waiting game. So leaving Cleos in the hands of Jacelyn with orders for uh Jason not to let Cleos see the city or its kind of bad condition that it's in, wanting to be sure that Cleos doesn't let anything slip up slip about it when he returns to Rob. Uh, he takes his leave to go see his loving sister. Tyrion returns to his tower where he finds Cersei waiting for him, and guess what? She's pissed off, just like she always is. And in her rage, she reveals to him that she discovered Tyrion's plan of shipping Marcella to Dorne to be fostered and eventually married off so here we review remember Tyrion chatted with Pycelle, Littlefinger and Varys the 1-2-3 chapter from last time so just to review to Pycelle he gave him a letter to send to Dorne by Raven mail but we are never told of its contents to Littlefinger he said he planned to marry Marcella to Sweetrobin at the Vale and to Varys, he said he intended to send Tommen to Dorne to be fostered and eventually married off. So I'll give you a second to figure out who the informant is if you haven't already. Okay. So thanks, we find thanks out. Thanks for that,
1: this... that up, by the way. Yeah, that, that was super yeah. confusing for me. Good job, man. <laughs>
2: Uh, we find out that this appears to have been Tyrion's plan for Marcella all along, him believing she'll be treated well at Dorne under the protection of the Honorable Prince Doran Martell. Uh, despite the overarching Martell hatred against Lannisters after the sack of King's Landing and murder of Queen Alia Martell and her babies at Tywin's command, uh, some justified anger there. He even proposes that they send a member of the King's Guard, Ares Oakheart, great name, uh, with Marcella to kind of be her protector and bodyguard, this pisses off Cersei even more, saying he'd offered too much, and even deigning to slap him after Tyre- Ty- Tyrion, excuse me, slyly hints that maybe she could offer Doran her lady parts. Um, after noting that Marcella would be no safer in King's Landing if it was sacked, uh, Cersei actually breaks down in tears, and indeed, this reader at least cannot doubt that she loves her children. Uh, she shuns Tyrion's attempts to comfort her, going on this tirade against all the men in her life and their incompetence, from Tyrion to Jaime to her father. And she even admits that she wishes uh, she was a man so she could just fix everything, as if that's some kind of requirement for doing things Magic right. elixir! <laughs> Tyrion ends the chapter by giving her the peace terms from Rob, noting that he's pretty dang sure she'll agree to the Dorn Alliance now. And pretty pleased with, him, with himself that his uh, scheming proved effective in weeding out the aforementioned informant. So, kind of a three-parter with Tyrion there. I don't yeah. know, what did you
0: guys he's a, he's a busy
1: dude. I love... Sorry, go ahead.
0: I was just saying, he's a busy dude. It seems like every time we get a chapter with Tyrion, he's doing one thing, then he got a, another middle section, and then one more final beat. It's like he's got... A, he's just all over the city in every chapter he's, he's in.
1: Yeah, And all so efficient. City. Yeah. yeah and under the city, oh my God, all of these stashes of wildfire all yeah. under the city <gasps> <gasps> terrifying absolutely yeah. terrifying at any second and, there, and I loved the all of the descriptions of how volatile the the substance is and that the fact that the the alchemists and the pyromancers call it the substance
0: the substance <laughs> and, the substance
1: yeah, the substance and they call each other <laughs> wisdom. Wis- yeah, what disappointed me is we never get an instance where they like refer to one another. So are they like brother wisdom, the wisdom, just wisdom? <laughs> yeah,
2: the- wisdom scad. Yeah, wisdom Brookles.
1: I know, right? So <laughs> yeah. wisdom like the Duke. Like, what's the deal? I, but um,
0: I love how they just kind of haphazardly mention that a bunch of heiress stock is lost. That's just lost somewhere. Yeah. It reminds me. There's buried beneath (laughs) the city. There's a a Thompson family classic called Renaissance Man. Half decent comedy. Uh, I love it. It's got like references to Hamlet all throughout it and stuff. But uh, Danny DeVito, good film. But uh, one of the little throwaway scenes is the apparently somebody on base. Most of it takes place on a military base. They've lost a tank, and one of the characters says. It's a tank! How do you lose it? It's like this stuff is extremely volatile and could go up at any moment. How are you misplacing it? It's how um, is this how is this even possible? Yeah, totally. or that
2: you've left it there that long. Like, wasn't yeah. a whole bunch of it under the Great Sept of Baylor like their major church?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Their cathedral.
1: <laughs> yeah, it would be like like um I don't know. Several thousand tons of C four just under Westminster Abbey. Just yeah. it's a great place for it. What just hiding out also tickles me pink is that Aries had the the little jars shaped like fruit. <laughs>
2: Like bananas. I was so
1: twisted. Well, I'm guessing well, one of them was a grapefruit. I'm guessing like maybe a bunch of grapes, or you know what I'm imagining? Do you guys remember when we were kids and they had those little plastic fruits full of sugar powder?
2: Yeah. That you could buy.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm picturing in my head.
0: Yeah.
2: Only this time, it's Delicious. like a napalm substance. Yes.
1: Yeah, and that uh, Tyrion obviously is giving a lot of things a lot of forethought. But I love that he's taking the safety measure to have the City Watch do, like, two trial runs with the clay jars. Mm -hmm. One full of green paint. (laughs) Anybody with paint on them gets, like, subbed out. And then with a slightly more dangerous, but much less dangerous than wildfire lamp oil. I think that's great. Like, oh, he's so smart. I just just want to give him his little demon monkey self a hug because he's so smart <laughs> little
2: demon monkey yeah we didn't mention that that he ran into uh i didn't mention that in my summary that he ran into the the crazy uh street corner preacher yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love that. Him a that demon monkey
0: that begging brother guy that that scene is awesome he's just but but i imagine like imagine that was joffrey that overheard that instead of Tyrion. that guy would have lost his tongue or maybe his head
2: probably would have shot him like he did like yeah. he did the, the small oh, folk yeah. outside the gate that, that <laughs> yeah. and we've got that one story of him like shooting the small folk and then giving them leave to eat each other <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh. Tyrion just must like just like a face palm like every day
1: yeah like what's the use he's going to all these great lengths to keep the city fed and at peace and protected <laughs> Joffrey Joffrey's like, shooting using them. Using them for target practice and then <laughs> mocking their dead.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, I, it's wonderful.
0: One of the things in government that I actually it's not even really about the government, it's about perception of the government that I hate, especially in this country. I don't know if it's the same up there, Brooke, but people feel like the presidents or, or other people in power should know everything. That they should be good at everything and they should have the answers to everything. It's like, that's not really how it works. And I, it's, it's just a little small comparison, but Tyrion here hears the guy say, Look, this shit is dangerous. Like, you gotta be careful with it. And then he goes on to say, You tell me to be careful with it? I'm gonna be careful with it. Give me the pots so I can practice. Like, it's about finding people that know what's going on and listening to their opinion and then making yeah, choices. Yeah, he's very good
2: at that. Right? He's yeah, very he's good not... At that. That's one thing I know.
0: Yeah, as, as much power as he has, I don't ever feel like he's on a power trip, right? He's mm-hmm. he's interested in using it the right way. I love it about Tyrion.
1: Yeah, let's let's all agree right now that out of the three hands we've witnessed, Tywin, Ned, and Tyrion, Tyrion is the best King's Hand that is ever handed.
2: Yeah. Um, so say we all.
0: So, I say oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I so say we all. Yeah. Although I would say Ned had a great day in court. He's just not he's just not political enough to play the game to get enough done. But
2: and that's why I think Brooke's saying that Tyrion's doing such a good job is he can play a yes, political game. Yeah.
1: Mm. While well, still having really good motives. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, especially for a Lannister. Yeah. Um, yeah, so great chapter. I would say are we good to move on?
2: I'm excited to see, uh, just real quickly, next chapter we're going to see, uh, or is it next one or the one after we're going to see Tyrion confront the informant?
1: Uh, that's a
2: spoiler. Wait, that is right a- after that makes-
1: the Theon chapter, there's a Tyrion chapter, because so I almost read it.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to see Tyrion eventually confront the informant. Maybe that's the less spoilery way of saying it. But-
0: yeah. Minor spoiler, but I assume the reader could assume that Tyrion's probably going to confront them. <laughs> it's not like he's one to shy away from conflict.
1: Yeah, it'll know. be good. Scad? Five,
0: six,
3: seven, eight. Brandon Stark, won't you come back down from that tower your mind's been flying from? Your legs don't work, but they don't really need to work on that third eye showing you new ways unexplored and the summer's gonna come. no you know it's gonna come. Summer's gonna come.
0: So Bran rides to the place of honor at the feast to host Rob's Bannerman. His pride is only outdueled by his shame when at the end of the ride up to the place of honor, Osha and Hoder have to lift him from his chair, and he earns the stares of all the people that have never seen this transaction before. So he's ashamed of his uh, inability to use his legs to do all of this himself. Something that hopefully we'll get over someday. He kicks off the feast by thanking the gods for Rob's victories and uh, thanking them for a bountiful harvest. and agree uh, that Ned would be proud of little Bran, that he's done a good job uh, kicking off this feast. So the feast continues, general merriment, eating, drinking, feeling up the serving girls as per usual. Uh, Bran, though, just reminds him of a feast of old, the last one he had with his family uh, when the king was in town, uh, Triple B, and how much he misses his family. So during the middle of the feast, uh, his spirits are lifted a little bit, as suddenly two noobs show up, Mira and Jojen Reed from the Neck. You should remember it from before. Um, Rob's army traveled through the Neck to get to the Twins. The the Neck is kind of between Moat, Kalen, and and the Twins. But uh, Mira, slim as a boy, with the accoutrements of a hunter-warrior of the Neck, which is uh, a a long spear-like object and a net, uh, as well as a, a kind of longish knife. Not a sword, but kind of a long knife. Uh, Jojen, all in green to match his green eyes, no weapons, soft leather, almost kind of like a, a little elf, uh, almost from uh, the North Pole or something. Is, totally. Is, is the way I picture it. Uh, yeah. They pledge their fealty uh, to Bran, who says that uh, their fealty belongs to Rob, but they can say their words to him. And it isn't long before Jojen asks where the direwolves are. He wants to see them. But uh, he tells them they're in in the godswood, and now is not the time. But nothing can stop the merriment, and the feast continues. Then dancing, but that just melts Bran's spirits a little more, because that's one more thing Bran cannot do. So he summons Hodor for an escape, and that escape is only slightly delayed by Hodor being distracted at some hallway sex in one of the more awkwardly written scenes in the series, where Hoder just stops to watch some sex in the hallway.
1: <laughs> Bran gets to it his... It could have been worse. <laughs>
0: could, could have been worse. So well, Hoder... He could have done something. He could have done something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hoder carries Bran to his room, where Bran uh, gets into his bed, drifts off to sleep, but before he does, he recalls the story his father told him of Arthur Dane nearly slaying him in combat... But for the but for the but for Howland Reed's um interjection. But eventually the Wolf dreams take over, and as Summer he sees Mira and Jojin enter the godswood. Jojen observes that the black one, Shaggy Dog, is full of fear and rage. But the grey, Summer, is strong. Stronger than he knows. And that is how the chapter ends. So uh kind of an interesting chapter. I think uh the the main crux of the chapter is is the reeds arriving these are a people that they're loyal to the north but we haven't really seen them yet and you know in the first book or or heretofore in a Clash of Kings so it's kind of a new family that we get to meet and interesting that he sends two young children in place of any sort of soldiers or you know <laughs> the head of the house mm-hmm. or something like that so
1: Almost smart though, like if Helen Reed knew that these kids were coming to pay homage to Bran because everybody else was gone and he really wanted to forge an alliance, he sent the right age group.
0: To bond with him. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 I mean he doesn't need an alliance. He's already he's already uh you know, they're already Ned or the Starks are already their liege lord. But uh yeah, to pay homage and renew that yeah, uh, commitment ahead. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah right yeah I, it's just an i mean it's just so a 14 year old sent with the younger brother alone through the north <laughs> cold and animals and bandits and it's
2: like I, when you oh, it's like when you hell hell send like? your it's like when you send your kid uh, to to run down to the corner market and grab some milk or something yeah hey kids yeah. Just like Go up that. to the north real quick and uh, and uh, just tell the Starks that we're still with them.
0: Say some words and come home. <laughs> Be quick about it. It's just a, it seems like I've I've just seen in these books where like going anywhere they send like a full retinue of like thirty soldiers. It's like they just send two.
2: Yeah, and right. it's uh, it's not an easy or you know super safe way to travel. So that you know that these kids have to have a certain amount of resourcefulness.
0: Yeah, yeah, they must be, like, super capable. And we know, I don't know how much we know, we know a little bit that the the neck is full of bogs and marshes, and, um, you know, it's it's not the most uh, easy environment to traverse, so that, you know, they're probably pretty capable kids. But, uh, sure. I don't know, yeah. it, just, it just seemed weird. You have the whole previous brand chapter talking about all of these families, you know, coming together and bringing their groups of people, and uh, I think it's noted that... Um, Lady Hornwood doesn't bring many people or whatever, but most people bring a group of people to this thing, and it's just the two kids. It, it
2: yeah, is intriguing. the uh, The other lords in the north, in their relationship with Edard, seemed very much to be a liege lord and kind of, kind of relationship, very businesslike. But it appears from from what we've heard here that Howland and Ned were actually uh, friends, fairly close. And so that seems like something that um, you know Howland would want to get up and see how they're yeah. doing. So, really intriguing story. Uh, you know, Howland seems to be a really intriguing character. That he was uh, Ned's savior, um, helping him defeat the you know who Ned considered the best knight in the whole kingdom. So there's got to be something super special about this yeah. guy. We have no I can't idea wait how to hear that story. Yeah, we have we no don't.
0: idea how he helped. We just know that he helped. If 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 you don't remember, we, we covered this in Ned's, one of Ned's chapters in the Game of Thrones. It's Ned's fever dream that he has when he's in the black cells uh, mm-hmm. beneath King's Landing, and he has this vision of he and six of his uh, compatriots from the north facing off against uh, the three Kingsguard. Howland was one of those seven, um, and the only one, along with Ned, left standing at the end of the battle and... Uh, You know, apparently it was Howland that saved Ned's life. Which, but you know, we don't know much else besides that for now. Nope, Um, Nope, we don't. Mm -hmm. But but these kids, there's something more to them than meets the eye. I mean, Jojen's like immediately interested in the wolves, right? Like, and he senses something in them at the end of the chapter. Unafraid of the wolves. Unafraid of them. Yeah, these are huge. Super significant. Yeah,
2: he he seemed to have some sort of influence over um, Bran and Summer. Remember when he reaches out and touches Bran, or when he or reaches Summer. out and touches Summer, Yeah, uh, it kind of pushes jars, Bran into it. Jars it
0: jars Bran awake, right? Yeah, I, I yeah. kind of Skip that in my summary. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
1: This was actually, for all of this chapter being rather mild, was super conflicting for me um, because about halfway through the chapter, one of my most favorite scenes in the series so far happened, when Bran had to Play the the little Lord of of Winterfell, and he was sending dishes at the feast yeah. to various lords and ladies. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, are you going to talk and about Sirotic the phrase? Reminded him that he had to send something to his foster brothers. The phrase, and he sent yeah. little Walder some boiled beets and big Walder butter turnips. Yes, I love it. I loved it so much. Oh, I was just like hugging myself and wiggling. I loved it so much.
0: This is this is Brand's wolf's blood. It's like, oh, I got to do this. All right, I'm gonna yeah. send him the crappiest thing I can. That's as daring as I'm Such gonna get. A
1: little shit. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what you get. It. <laughs> it's yeah, just that it's little so Stark
0: great. attitude coming out, right? Like, mm-hmm. I love it. Every time I see it in Stark Kid, I want to bring it up. It's just that—that's the wolf's blood. It's the—it's just the slight anger and like fuck you to the world kind of attitude that they get sometimes, right? Yeah. I love it.
1: Yeah. But then oh, this- in direct conflict with that also the worst line in the book happened, a-, a line that I didn't pick up on until this reread but it almost made me just throw the book down and quit everything. Quit the reread, oh, no. quit the podcast, everything. <laughs> <laughs> it was this. It was <laughs> Brand thinking about all of the horrible tragedies that have befallen his family, and he thinks to himself, and now they're all gone. It was as if some cruel god had reached down with a great hand and swept them all away the girls to captivity, John to the wall, Rob and mother to war, King Robert and father to their graves. I was like, fucking George, he's the cruel god, and he wrote himself <laughs> into the book. <laughs> That's
2: you
1: so son of a true. bitch! Yeah. He'd so angry. Yeah.
2: You're to blame for all of this. And yeah. he's so
1: proud of himself, and he trolled us good with that line. As yeah. if some cruel god had snatched them down with a great hand. Yeah, okay. You know what? I can just see your great hands head pecking away at your keyboard, writing that shit, pissing me off.
2: <laughs> In his little turtle cap.
1: <laughs>
4: Fucking
0: Turtle cap is... <laughs> <laughs> this will get him!
4: <laughs> uh, oh, they're really gonna hate this. How
0: about... How about the... Uh, in part of the reminiscing that Bran's doing, he misses his old friends, and he brings up... He's like, oh, the new guys are okay. Hay Head, Poxy Tim, and Skitrick. <laughs> uh,
4: these are some, winning, these that... are some
0: winning names that that Germ has concocted to tell us. There's some fucking fuckos left up here.
1: Scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: this is like this is like um, the the movie The Replacements with Keanu Reeves, the yes. football movie, yeah. where they have to assemble a football team to play, and it's like convicts and a sumo wrestler, and the kicker is a soccer player, and
0: this is the leg. <laughs> I, th- I thought you told me he was
2: solid muscle. Well,
3: he, he's much stronger than he looks. I'm wired.
2: Yeah. The uh, one of them is like the tight end is deaf and they just have to like assemble this whole team of kind of ragtag guys. That's all they've got left at Winterfell.
1: (laughs) The practice squad.
0: That's like the same plot as Mighty Ducks and the Big Green and like every other bullshit sports movie ever, isn't it? Ragtag group of nobodies.
1: Yeah, but those movies all ended positively with the underdogs winning the day. We'll see how this goes. For
0: winter. I got high hopes for Poxy Tim. Poxy I think Tim. he might win the day.
1: <laughs> you just know what he looks like. It's <laughs> so not pretty.
2: He's going to be one of those before and after shots on an acne commercial.
0: <laughs> I'm not just the founder. I'm the. What is it? I'm a customer.
1: Anyways, good chapter. Anything else you guys want to cover? Or we get well, do
0: Do you want to touch on the Hodor sex thing? Is there anything like? It seems completely. Like gratuitous. We it, well, it just sounds like completely gratuitous, meaningless. Why bother? Like, unless there's something in there that matters. Like, why would know, Graham have really written that? It mattered.
1: Hodor's and Bran's reaction to that was very telling of them.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it's it's writing from the POV of a child. Like, you know, if you were nine and you saw that, you'd stop and stare too. Yeah, but. He- Every, I would have. Every single word. I'd be nineteen and I'd still stop and
0: stare. Mm-hmm. Every single word that an author chooses is like agonized over. Like every paragraph that they choose to write is a is is a choice that they fought through Beatable. to mm. get. Alright. My sister's only one author. But, but I don't she like totally one. Just reading the
1: John chapter, and he introduced a new knight a man of the blacks watch threw in a whole new name just because John was walking out a door and this new character was walking in the door and they brushed past each other. It was like unnecessary. <laughs> totally unnecessary. So Or
2: was it? <laughs> uh, it was unnecessary Sometimes I think maybe it's it maybe it's not always about the plot. Maybe it is about just kind of giving some insight into the character sometimes rather than driving the plot forward. Well, I'm all about that. It was awkward though. It was awkward to read that. For sure. In an enjoyable way.
1: You perverts.
0: I
2: <sighs> Scott's dish to a scad.
0: What? No, well, it I it seems like you talk about this more. No, I don't I just don't it didn't I didn't I guess I didn't see anything out of the reactions that told me anything about their character really. Just that Hoder, we could have guessed, hasn't had experience with that and is intrigued okay i probably could have guessed that bran is too young to really understand what's going on but knows that it's uncomfortable and says let's go i just didn't learn anything about them it, it just seemed weird and awkward and un- unnecessary mm-hmm. like a lot of the sex scenes I don't, in the show that i'm just like why are they doing this
2: i don't think that yeah i don't think this will be the last time that we have these these types of moments where we think that
0: okay mm-hmm. let's move on then i i will get to my uh dirty nature later though brooke I can't wait. All right.
3: words will cut you like Valyrian steel through a hand. She can't love Jon Snow, and she's sure to let you know where she stands. A devoted mother who married the brother of a dead fiance. She's vengeful and hateful, loving and faithful. She's catless.
1: So Catelyn has been dispatched by Rob down to Renly, or King Renly, to discuss some terms between the two kings. She's pretty unhappy about this since she wants to spend as much time with her dying father as possible. But Rob feels no one else is qualified and threatens to send the great John Umber if she doesn't go. (laughs) She's like, okay, I'll go. So she's escorted by 20 of Rob's best dudes and the Honourable Wendell Manderly. So they make it to Renly's camp pretty much unscathed. And once they get there, it's pretty apparent pretty quickly that Renly is doing super well for himself. Um, If our fellow readers will recall, the last time we had some quality Renly time was back in Game of Thrones when he sat on the small council and he wasn't doing much more than just, like, looking good, enjoying the good times with Big Brother Roberts, and uh, mostly just being amused by little finger of Berries. But apparently, Renly was never meant to be underestimated, because he's gathered a host of over 80,000 men, the majority of them lords and knights in good fighting condition. And he's keeping them all fed through a brilliant strategic alliance with the Lord of Highgarden which is like the California of Westeros from what I can tell, where just stuff just grows all the time, all year round. Um, And by strategic alliance, I mean that he married the Lord of Highgarden's daughter, Marjorie Terrell. So Renly is slowly moving the majority of his 80,000 man army east towards King's Landing, but to keep them happy and himself entertained, he's hosting a melee. Uh, when Catelyn and her escort finally make their way into his camp. So as a reminder, in this series, Melee is a close combat tournament event where everyone rides their horses into a field and the last man standing. wins. It's moronic, it's a total waste of men and energy, and Catelyn astutely observes this. Even though the weapons the participants are using are blunted, people still get injured and there are Lannisters to kill out there. And it's just uh, a huge waste of time and uh, injury. So the last two people standing in this particular melee are the Knight of Flowers, Loras Tyrrell, Hans, Turney, runner-up, and Brother to Marjorie, And the Knight Catelyn doesn't recognize, dressed all in dark blue enameled armor. So Loras is... Arguably the best fighter in the Seven Kingdoms, but he's soundly ass whipped by the Blue Knight, who turns out to be no knight at all, but Lady Brienne of Tarth, sarcastically nicknamed Brienne the Beauty. So she's super tall, she's super awkward, she's not conventionally beautiful, but Brienne has sort of begrudged herself an, a name as a fighter um, and as a as a, a good tournament opponent. So the crowd doesn't like that Brienne has won, uh Loras being a crowd favorite with a crowd of lords from Highgarden, and the fact she's a woman doesn't help either. But Renly doesn't appear to care, and he grants her a wish just like he would have for any winner. Brienne, being awesome, asks to become a member of Renly's personal guard known as the Rainbow Cloaks. So like the True King's Guard. Who wear all white in King's Landing? Renly's Kingsguard wear rainbow striped cloaks. Just let that US. sink in. yeah. Especially you, Skad. Proud I'm rainbow cloaks. I'm okay, just, just making sure.
0: <laughs> I got a I got a good mind for these kinds of details.
1: Uh huh. Okay. So, anyways, that night. Catelyn is invited to sit at the high table of a delicious sounding feast Renly is hosting while he and his army squat on Lord Caswell's land. Catelyn does a lot of personal reflection on the sweet summer children all around her that is important to read, but is super boring to talk about, so I'm going to skip that. Then Renly asks her to take a walk, and they finally get down to business. And here's where we learn that, one... Renly doesn't consider Stannis' claim to the throne a threat. He knows no one loves Stannis, and Stannis has nothing else going for him other than a few boats in a tiny island, which is Dragonstone. 2. Renly has been saving the rainbow cloak he gave to Brienne that day for Barristan Selmy, the old lord commander of the real Kingsguard. So he asks Catelyn if she's seen Barristan Selmy since the Lannisters fired Barristan. And uh, said he was too old to serve, just to, to get him off of the small council. And Barristan said that he was off to serve a true king. Um, and Renly thought that that true king might have been him. Which well, is obviously. Like, <laughs> I actually said out loud when I read that. LOL. <laughs> Renly, come on. If you Renly- don't believe in
0: yourself, no one will, Brooke.
1: Oh, he's got confidence to spare, that's for sure. I do love me some Renly. So Renly also has more army at Highgarden and at Storm's End, which totals his force to easily twice that of Robb. So he's a major opponent. Um, And Renly feels that his claim to the crown is just as legitimate as Robert's ever was, since no one but the Targaryens have true claim, which... Is something that we've discussed before. Basically, anybody who has the means can take the throne. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think he'd make a bad king because he's totally cool with Rob calling himself king in the north. So long as Rob swears fealty to Renly as king of the Seven Kingdoms, which I find interesting since Renly never seemed that ambitious whenever we've heard from him or heard about him. Like, he was always just kind of, like, cool guy, super charming, interested in drinking and tourneys, but not interested in dominating the Seven Kingdoms as the only king. And the last thing that we learn as they're talking is that a messenger comes rushing up to the castle in the sweetest of timings to let Renly know that Stannis has besieged Storm's End, Renly's holding, and once again... Kings are fighting in uh, the Seven Kingdoms, so and King's Landing
0: the... breathes a sigh of relief.
1: Yeah, right? because Stannis isn't after them; he's that's after and, exactly.
0: and Renly is now distracted to deal with Stannis.
1: Yeah, and and from like like a fifty thousand foot view, that's really smart because Stannis needs more force, right? So if he can take it from Renly through just surprise and and being a better strategist, then. Good move, man. Yeah. Good move. Yeah. So um, there's lots to talk about here, but I'd like to start with the introduction of Brienne through Catelyn's eyes. So, Catelyn, fortunately and unfortunately, is a privileged, highborn, like, beautiful woman. Everybody says so, and she knows so. Um, So, her first reaction to seeing Brienne's face is really disappointing because it's it's just pity
2: that's exactly the word i put in my notes too is really disappointing
1: yeah the only thing i do appreciate is that catelyn didn't like share the gossip with everybody else who was bad-mouthing brianne and calling her Brienne the beauty and also when she was sitting at the feast close to Brienne, she never said yeah, you know, why do you dress like a man? Why did you want to be on the king's guard? Why are you doing this? You could be a lady. Like she isn't trying to fight Brienne on it. She she almost supports Brienne, if silently, if not out loud. Right. So I appreciate that, but her internal thoughts about it are super disappointing.
2: Is there any creature on earth as unfortunate as an ugly woman?
1: Uh, see, that is a woman who finds her greatest value in the approval and appreciation of men, which is uh, not the, not the,
2: you know, sometimes we, we bag, yeah, we, sometimes we bag on Sansa a little bit. Well, I don't, of course, because I love her. Uh, and and we're starting to maybe get glimpses of where she's kind of getting this sometimes.
1: Oh yeah, totally. Whoa. Just, uh, man, really hope that Catelyn changed her tune on that. Especially since she's such a an accomplished and capable woman herself, and it's not just because of her beauty. Sure, it helps her get a foot in a couple of doors, and probably gets her the admiration of a lot of men. But she's swiftly losing that beauty. Like uh, when she was in Renly's tent, she saw her reflection, and she's like, "Oh, I look like a drowned corpse." <laughs> <laughs> You're so
2: looking old. She
1: can't. She can't lean on that so much in negotiations anymore. She has to. Actually, you know, use her value as a human being.
2: She can't just unbutton that top button a little. Yeah, little.
1: just flash a little. Let her hair down. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. Sister, Matt.
0: I agree that it's a little unfortunate. I, I think, it, I think it was just not deftly done by George, to be honest. Like there, right after the paragraph that you quoted, Matt, there's the part that I think is more important. Uh, the way she looked at the king, looked down at him. She was a good hand higher, though Renly was near as tall as his brother had been. Was painful to see. It's it's not it's mm-hmm. it's not that she's it's not that she's ugly as the tragedy. It's her love for Renly that's clear on her face. That's the tragedy. And if George had dealt no, with that, both. if huh, no, I, I think I, it's both. No, I think George is painting that it's both. I'm arguing that it <clears> should <throat> be the one that's the real tragedy. And if George had painted it that way, I think it would be a lot more palatable to someone like Brooke. Like the, the maybe the pain of this shouldn't be just that she's not an attractive woman. The pain is that she's not an attractive woman perhaps, but one that's in love with someone that's unattainable. That's I the right. That's I the heard. real tragedy.
2: But I don't think he's trying to make it palatable. I think he's trying to reflect an attitude yeah. Not necessarily his own.
1: Hey, Scott, I, I would actually argue with your interpretation of that scene, I would say that Kat is not at all referring to any sort of affection or feelings or loyalty that Brienne has to Renly. She's still stuck on the physical in there. Oh, really? I don't think so. Yeah. I really feel that's the case. And, and, and that, George nailed it. Like... That sort of like catty pity, yeah. Uh, we'll have to disagree on that one. Okay, sounds good. Fight, fight, fight. fight.
0: <laughs> no, I, th- I think way, she. I think she does. Way too I think she does have <laughs> pity, but it's it's pity for a woman that's that's striving for something impossible, not not pity for a woman just because she's ugly.
1: I think that's part of it. Uh, I don't think George has revealed too much of Brienne's feelings yet. To be honest, I think
0: that's. I think that sentence is doing it. The way she looked at the king was painful to see.
1: Just that she looked down at him; that she was a whole head higher than him.
0: No, that she's looking at him. I, maybe I'm giving. Maybe I'm giving uh, Catelyn too much credit, but she sees. She sees from that look at the king that she's in love with him, and that's the pain that she's in love with the, this guy, and it's unrequited. And maybe I'm giving her too much credit, but that's the way I read that line. The way she looked at the king was painful to see.
1: Agree to disagree. All right. Okay. To um, see, we get
0: our
2: first look at Randall Tarley, <laughs> Sam's dad.
1: What a jerk. Captain Jerkface himself. Uh, that was kind of cool to make that connection.
3: Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah, that guy's a dick That's bag just a in. little thing, though. Uh, what a, I really liked there's was... There's tons of little things in this. I love the part with Wendell Manderly pouting that he doesn't go to shoot a bird for breakfast at the beginning. <laughs> All
2: right. I guess... Oats is fine.
0: Oats, Oats is okay. There's tons of little bits like that. <laughs> tons of great lines too. The uh, the one the the woman that says um, uh, gentler than the Lannisters is drier than the sea. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's just there's there are tons of gems in this chapter. The the uh, Catelyn talking about uh, King Rob is warring, my lord, not playing at tourney <laughs> mm. like just totally going after Renly's. Uh, feasting and partying style there's lots of good stuff in here yeah uh,
2: you know everyone is so worried about moving as quickly as they can to to take the power back wherever they can
3: you got to take the power back
2: it's radiant machine song the rage is
3: relentless. we need to move it with the quickness you are the witness of change at the counteract. we got to take the power back
2: uh but renly is just kind of content. He's like, let's just take a walk to the King's Landing. When we get there, we'll fight. But for now, let's, let's have a good time. Enjoy yeah. the countryside.
0: I'd say there's two things about that. One, well, I think he says it a little bit in the chapter. Why not wait? Doesn't hurt him at all to wait. He's got tons of food. His party is swelling. Everyone's happy. They're kind of slowly making their way. No rush. Rob's men are killing Tywin's men, reducing their number. Why rush, right? Sit it out. Wait it oh, out. Yeah. And, and, he, but,
2: and he gets the PR side of it. He gets yeah. the PR side of it that Cersei doesn't get. Make the people around you happy, and yeah. they will continue to follow you. Yeah. And so far it's working. Yeah.
1: I wonder yeah. if he has an informant in King's Landing letting him know how bad it is, or if he just <laughs> knows how bad it is because of all of the years he's spending King's Landing. Well, it was already getting bad
0: before he left. Before. Mm. Right, a little bit, but yeah,
2: that's a good point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like I just again, and I said this during my summary. I don't think he should be underestimated. Like he is pretty easygoing guy, but you don't get an army that size by just letting things happen.
2: It's like- yeah. The the thing that worries me though is there's a difference between charisma and comp- competence, yes. right? And and so far, he's very charismatic, and he gets people to follow him, but we're yet to see how he'll do in a in a battle situation. He's green, and Catelyn makes mention of it that the men around him are green, too. Um, 80,000 untested soldiers. I don't know if they can beat 40,000 tested soldiers, you know? Um, mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm.
2: And obviously, they've got Randall Tarleys in there and stuff who are very good commanders and everything. So he has surrounded himself with some pretty good guys, but... Yep. Yeah, it's yet to see whether, you know, but as a leader, uh, yeah, I mean, even Catelyn, in in some points in the POV, she refers to him as King Renly in her thoughts. She calls oh, him King Renly. He he's he, he looks like a king and he acts like someone you'd
0: follow. Yeah, they even talk <clears throat> about how he was a. <laughs> they even talk about how he was uh, basically, a, you know, a copy of of Triple B. Sitting there, when she first sees him, she's like, "It's a shade of Triple B from 17 years ago. Like it looks exactly like him. People will follow yeah. this guy, right?"
2: Mm. I love. He seems really cool.
0: <laughs> I I love too the uh, the quibbling over titles that happens throughout this chapter. Yeah, <laughs> the king in the north, and then the guy's like King Renly of all seven kingdoms. Says like they just kind of keep <laughs> one upping each other on dropping the title names. I love it. It's very hilarious.
2: But that's and it's super smart though of Renly to not get involved in that. He's just like, like whatever. he just kind of steps yeah. back. He lets them yeah. do it. He's like, we'll worry about that later. Da da, da, da da But really, he knows that this is his time to get Cat and Rob Stark yeah. on his side, and so he's he'll let them work it out, and yeah. he'll just stay aloof from all that.
0: G- going back to my political thing from before <laughs> about surrounding yourself with people, and Matt, you you kind of relayed this a little bit just a few minutes ago. Sometimes all you need is a charismatic leader, as long as that charismatic mm-hmm. leader is smart enough to surround people that he can trust, that can make the right decisions. Get get somebody that's charismatic yeah. that people will follow, and as long as he listens to the right people, it could work just fine. You know, I yep. I, I, and, think, and I think he a... really work for Renly. I really do
2: yeah he does they do make mention though of these you know these untested men that he's kind of surrounded himself with. he's got a couple Randall Tarley is one of the better commanders in the seven kingdoms and stuff but uh
0: mm-hmm. I don't really understand also that. Got the- I don't really understand that. that that I know I agree with you I remember reading it that they they say that they're young, but why would they be? Why would they be any younger than any other force if they should ha they've basically been untouched by the war so far, they should be pulling from men of all men and women whatever of all ages. To field this this group, of, from from
2: yeah, and I think it's
1: I think it was just Catelyn yeah, being bitter and more of experience, but, like but probably you know, exaggerating the situation a little bit.
2: The, a lot of these guys they makes it sound like they've never even seen a battle before, and yeah, you want uh, age is one thing and experience is another. Yeah,
0: the they I, guys I guess I'm dropping saying, their swords and running away until the Green Fork and the Whispering Wood. I think Rob's army was the same. Most of those guys I've never uh, seen
3: battle. Maybe.
1: No, a lot of them fought uh, in the Greyjoy Rebellion.
0: Yeah, but so would have the men from the Reach. That's my point. They're they're drawing from the same age pool. I guess we'll It seems see. like a lot of Rob's higher
2: commander guys were those experienced types. And Renly, I guess we don't get to see a ton of them. I thought of the song uh, "Good Night Saigon by Billy Joel. You guys know that song? It's a
0: great song. It's yeah. one of my favorites of his. Oh,
2: it's a song about, uh, oh, we're bringing up Vietnam again. Listen Yay. to me. Two episodes in a row. Um he talks about he's talking about how they come in, you know, going on to into Vietnam just as boys. Here, I've got it. He says we met as soulmates. This is the lyrics of the song. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking on of. Paris yeah,
0: we left as uh, his his inmate inmates from an the, asylum. Uh, yeah, right.
2: And we were sharp as sharp as knives and we were so gung ho to lay down our lives. We came in spastic like tameless horses. I love this line. We left left in plastic plastic. as numbered corpses. Yeah. And we learned fast Mm. to travel light. Our arms were heavy, but our bellies were tight. We
3: came in spastic.
2: Thought of that, I thought of uh, Renly's army when I read that.
0: <laughs> because they're the opposite, or or they're they're the people at the beginning instead of at the end, I guess.
2: Yeah, they're these guys that are so gung, as I say, so gung ho to lay down our lives. They're so gung ho to get out there and prove themselves in battle, and yeah, and everything. And they're going to leave plastic. Catelyn's from. I'm not saying they're going to go and lose. Yeah, they're going to go and all die. But from Catelyn's perspective, um, she's saying, mm, "Don't be so excited, guys."
0: Yeah. Yeah, I get I get that um, that's what she's saying. I just, I don't understand why they wouldn't have the same, I won't I won't belabor it anymore, but it seems like they'd have experienced guys too, and I don't get it.
1: And they do. I feel like this is a good time to switch it over to the North.
0: Yeah, one more oh. One more small thing. Uh, I didn't hear it in the summary. I just wanted to bring up, Rob has told Catelyn that he is not going to sit and wait for the response to the peace terms. He's marching.
1: On Harrenhal, right?
0: Uh, not, not on Hall. Uh, sorry,
1: sorry. He's gonna fight like a Hall He's
2: not. He going doesn't to say Harrenhal. where he
0: doesn't exactly. Go, he doesn't say where he's going, but he says specifically. I did. I made no mention of Hall. But the mm-hmm. the main point is, he's not content to just sit around. Which as as relates to our he's- waiting conversation from previous episodes, he can see that the waiting is killing him, and he's got to do something. Right, and he mentions. And yeah, now the, the question
2: is: Is he too late?
0: Yeah. Right.
2: has he lost too many men at this point
0: alright uh we can move on to John if you want Brooke sorry just wanted to lay that great
1: it's yours Skad
3: so it is where we're going up north where the winter's cold and the icicles bloom like the bluest rose we haven't met his mom but we love his wolf he's John Snow
1: I think that's my favorite the John song
0: yeah that was That's the very one. first one. Really? It was the one that started it all.
1: What, I mean, they're all good. What you just they're said is good. that he
0: has no improvement in him, Brooke. That's what you just said. <gasps> oh, I,
1: I such peaked. <laughs> you peaked
0: early. <laughs> <laughs> at least you still it's got jingles to write. For me. At least you still got jingles to write. I peaked at <laughs> the cab driver line, and I'm done now. My whole life is just <laughs> over.
1: I don't think anything will be as funny as that was.
2: I don't think, to your credit, Skid, I don't think anything any of us could say can beat that cab driver no, thing. Well, we'll, ever. See.
0: we'll see about that. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Take us there, Skid. Yes, John. The Black Brothers ride through the haunted forest. It's cold. It's wet. It's windy and they are beaten down from finding deserted village after deserted village. There are no warm hugs from Olaf to make it all go away. But they are encouraged to find that Craster's Keep is still populated by Craster and his many daughters, whom, oh by the way, he also takes as wives. John rides back among the men spreading the news and the warning to stay away from said wives. When they finally arrive, though, it's a bit of a dump only keep a max of about a quarter of their number warm and dry for the night. It's a small h- hall built on top of a hill of mud with nearly no defenses surrounding it. Craster himself is a little bit more impressive, though. He's a powerful man, but in the winter of his life. He tells them many things. He's kind of a, an old guy that likes to talk quite a bit. Tells them that he hasn't seen Benjamin at all in years, but had seen Waymar and Garrod and Will. Remember those guys? From the prologue? He saw them and remembers them. Denies an offer to go to the wall for his own safety that Mormont has presented him with, ignoring the tales of whites that Mormont leaves at his feet, claiming he doesn't know what they're talking about. He adds that he doesn't bow to Mance, that Mance is behind all the villages being empty. They've He's summoned all of the wildlings from their villages. He also tells them that he needs wine and a new axe. So... John is sent to retrieve the wine, the axe, and Sam to draw a map of where the wildlings currently are located. So they've been summoned somewhere. Sam's going to draw a map, according to Craster, where they are. After doing his duty and feeding his horse, John is about to settle in for his dinner when he hears the cry of a wolf. His wolf. Ghost is stealing rabbits and scaring the locals. Uh, There's a mix-up with the locals and uh, a few of the black brothers, but in the end it just nets John... Some a rabbit, uh, and some insults from his fellow black brothers. He shares the rabbit with Sam for dinner um, before sending him off to draw the maps. John then sleeps. He dreams of his sisters and awakes to a winter wonderland, the world covered in a sheen of ice, the magic beyond the wall indeed. He also awakes to the rabbit girl in Sam's cloak, begging for asylum. She reveals that she fears for the life of her child, a son, she suspects, and tells that Craster gives the sons to the Cold Gods. Lately, though, not enough sons, and that is why the sheepfold is also empty. No sheep around. John confirms that they have seen the others. Gilly even has seen them. He refuses to help anyway, though, and leaves her in a mess. The Watch departs that morning. John confronts Mormon about Craster's behavior of donating his sons to the Cold Gods, and finds out that the Watch knows all about it. I think the word we're looking for is complicit. Uh Mormont is convinced that Mance is marching south on the wall, and that they must find him and defeat him. And that is the end of the chapter. Uh a pretty a, a pretty long chapter. I don't know. Um I don't even know where to start. I, I guess I guess I guess we should start with the donation of the sons. That's the, the kind of big reveal in this chapter. Um mm-hmm. He donates his sons to the cold gods. Which I think we're pretty much led to believe this is the others. He's just giving them.
1: Yeah, this actually had me thinking for a long time. Like, what do they do with them? Do they drink their blood? Do they take their life force? Do they let them live and raise them as like human slaves? What's going on?
0: Yeah, who knows? I mean, speculation, right? My imagination was sacrificed. Yeah, my most times sacrifice just means that they're killed, right? But for what purpose? You know, I, I noted in the mm-hmm. summary that there's not a whole lot of protection. Craster is but one man, one man with a dull axe, according to him. Um, he can't really protect himself or or his wives against this gruesome power that we've seen in, way back in the prologue. So it, it seems like these donations of sons buy him some sort of protection.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. It definitely that's what it has works.
0: To be. Yeah. It's
1: it's definitely uh, an arrangement that is keeping them all alive.
0: But it, but you know yeah. what? It it wouldn't protect him. Well maybe, well, maybe it does. We can go into it. Perhaps it wouldn't protect him from Mance. One thing I don't get is why Mance hasn't just murdered Craster for his insolence. At one point I in the think, chapter, uh, go ahead.
2: I do think it has to do with that. I think it. I think you know this protection they're apparently giving from getting from the others perhaps extends outwardly too. To the others protecting Craster from anything that might come his way. I don't know. Cause I thought about that too. One of my thoughts as I was reading about the quote unquote fortifications around Craster's keep was how is this guy still alive between yeah. the others and other wildlings? How has this guy survived this long?
0: Yeah.
2: And that's the only thing I can think of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You well, her, It, it but... would
1: seem he's a good, sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I was just I was just going to expand on Matt's thing a little bit like how does one even get into Craster's position? Like you're you know, you're wandering through the woods and like, oh, I found a wife. I'm going to bang her and make children. And now I'm going to well, keep those as like how how do you even find yourself in the position he's in? It's so weird.
1: I believe there's plenty of evidence to show that he is like a really strong man and a good yeah. hunter.
0: Yeah. So right.
1: like all of his wives were wearing deer skin. Yep. He's actually described as being a big man. Yep. Um uh, yeah. even if he is in the winter of his life. Yeah. Uh I mean there's a frickin' bear's head on his
2: Well, Gilly says that uh after that um Mormont had given Craster a crossbow and he'll kill a hundred rabbits with the crossbow or something. After John apologizes for eating the one rabbit. Yeah, she goes, it's oh, like it's worth He just got a new crossbow and he's gonna kill hundreds of them now, so no big deal.
0: Well, that's funny, I, that's not how I, yeah, I read there's, that. Doesn't matter. That's how I read it. <laughs> Go ahead. It doesn't matter. It's <laughs> quibbling nonsense.
2: We're quibbling a lot this episode. It's kind yeah, of fun.
0: I hate you guys.
1: <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I hate you.
0: <laughs> um, hmm.
1: um yeah, so what I found really interesting was the whole feelings and emotions and guilt trips that both Lord Mormont, John, and and Sam were all feeling about this whole situation. I mean, mm-hmm. Lord Mormont was practicing that age old turn your head, uh, ignore the problem that's not yours, and like never interfere with another man's life, which is the worst practice ever. Yeah. If a man is is physically abusing his wife and children, friggin' step in! Yeah. <laughs> like this is yep. this is not the feudal ages anymore. He doesn't own that family and you're not taking away his property. Friggin' yep. call the cops. So in this, in this case, Lord Mormont is turning his head because Craster has, I guess, offered sanctuary for black brothers in the past, is obviously a good source of information for know tracking Mance Raider and stuff but that does not justify what Craster is doing what Mormont knowingly uh, or what Lord Mormont knows Craster is doing which is killing his own children and pretty much keeping his wives and daughters prisoner against their will and then he has the gall to try to justify it by saying well his these these girls should just help themselves which is disgusting they don't know how to help themselves they they know Mm. nothing else but this life yeah oh and then and then sam is the only one who even though his attempt is lame and doesn't work and upsets the relationship between him and john he's the only one who says no this isn't right i want to do something about it um and then even john who can't do anything about it because it would greatly inconvenience him feels guilty about it, which I appreciate, but is still not good enough. Just feeling guilty about it not good enough. He needs to do something. Well,
2: yeah, John's de- getting a real crash course in morality here, and that's what really that stuck out to me as the main theme of this whole chapter was John questioning morality here.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I
2: def- and I could say a lot about this. See, what were you going to say, Scan?
0: I'll defend them a little bit. And here's why. Ugh. I know. I know you hate me. <laughs> I'm just
1: going to put my quibbling goggles on.
0: <laughs> in the past, I think they're—I think what you're talking about, turning their head and, and ignoring this, inexcusable behavior. But you could argue that right now, John's morality question, even Mormont's maybe for today, the question has changed. They are on a mission to figure out what is going on in the North to protect the realms of men not the realms of Craster's keep but the realms of men and it could be argued that this is a situation they need to clean up later and that their priority is what their mission was at the beginning and i think that i think that's for right now for this instance a defensible position
2: and that's that's my whole thing is just um is just the whole question in general. And, and I think it's brilliant of George to bring this up and add so much depth to it. Uh, you know, Mormont makes the point. What does he say? I think I've got it here. He says, uh, he's sworn vows. Oh, I can't find it now. Oh, there it is. Craster's keep made the difference between life and death for our rangers. Or your uncle could tell you of the times Craster's Keep made the difference between life and death for our rangers. So there's this question of, you know, do I uh, – keeping Craster alive while allowing his abuse to continue in Mormon size is vital to the beyond wall operations of the Night's Watch. So what's better? A few wildling babies die and women suffer. Or who knows how many rangers don't make it through a ranging in the future because Craster's out of the picture? That's the question they're grappling with, and I think it's a really fascinating. Well,
0: one. I think Brooke has has chided us before in the past for thinking that those are your only two alternatives. Like, think outside the box. And let's I'm figure not, something else out. No, I know sure, you're not.
2: Sure, I'm. I'm. I'm talking about what they think.
0: I know, but but I think we should chide the characters for not setting up their own outpost about, out there, or. I, I don't know. Who knows? Other options. Right?
1: Yeah, I don't think we need to devils advocate for any of the choices that are these characters have made. Like it's it's written into the story. There's it is what it is, right? But, but well, yeah.
0: we've we've brought up that one of the central themes of this is morality questions, and we should debate both sides of morality. I guess is all I'm saying.
2: Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, the very purpose of the Night's Watch, what I found interesting of this, the very purpose of the Night's Watch, and I went back and I read over the, the the oath of the Night's Watch just to make the words of the Night's Watch to make sure I understood it. The very purpose of the Night's Watch is to protect the realms of men, it says. It doesn't say Westeros. It doesn't say anything mm-hmm. south of the wall. It says the realms of men from from the darkness, or they're referring to the others. And now John is, feels like he's being forced to not do that with an individual with Gilly and her unborn who, th- who she thinks is a son he's abandoning that child to certain death as he sees it from the others those very people who those very beings who he's sworn yeah. to protect men against you now he's allowing that to happen and so that guilt that he's feeling is is so fascinating to me. Um, i just I just really thought I f- mined the depths of John in this chapter, and it was really fascinating.
1: You really hit a good point there the The point of the night's watch is to protect men from the others, and if they're not taking the time to protect innocents like Craster's wives, then what is the point of fighting the others right so
2: and 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 going along with that, or kind of using it as a starting point to make another point, so I apologize, but I'm having a hard time with Mormont's plan now, because if we remember from that last chapter in A Game of Thrones, what was his original plan? To go be on the wall? It was to go out and figure out what happened to to Benjamin. what's up with this white stuff, to get some answers to questions, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now what's his whole, now what's his purpose? Go crush Mance. To go out and fight wildlings.
0: Yeah, it's a little weird.
2: Yeah.
1: With 300
2: men against the thousands of of wildlings. It's like, um, Mormont, do we need to, like, sit you down and have a rest, maybe talk to somebody for a little bit? (laughs) uh,
1: (laughs) Corn, corn. You
0: get that early, right? Early in Game of Thrones. The sense that wildlings are the threat, right? We even talked about it in our episodes about like about how they're worried about wildlings. And Ned even says something I think when the deserter shows up about wildlings. It's like wildlings are not your issue. There are fucking ice gods up there that are terrifying. Like it's the same thing. Right. They're they're preoccupied with this wildling threat. And when he hears that all the wildlings are being assembled into one place as a force, his brain just reverts back. and It's like wildlings are going to invade. Like and it, it just kind of takes him out of out of what he should be focusing on, right? Even he who's faced with who's in a village where others are (laughs) completely destroying babies, even he is taken out of that by the threat of wildlings. It's just like this this mental block they have. It's terrible. Well
2: and to me it's like you've got three hundred guys. Yeah. If against these thousands. If now the mission is to fight wildlings, book your butts back to the friggin' wall wall of ice. And get behind it, and wait for them to freaking come to you. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing, going on the offensive in their territory? Let them come to you, and your invincible wall of ice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love Starks too, but maybe Benjen can just stay dead in the in the in the ice. You know, like maybe that's a question that doesn't need to be answered. If your priority now is a wildling army assaulting the wall,
2: Uh, I'm calling a new band name: utterly morose.
0: From Dolores Ed. Oh, so. and <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: Dolores Ed was on point this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. How about how about Dywin too?
0: Diwin, I didn't even remember this guy, but he's pretty funny too with the wooden teeth. Yeah, guy was, guy was yeah
2: super, super cool?
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: Uh the
2: Black uh, Brothers.
1: We've, we've been lingering for a while. Are you guys ready to move on to Theon?
3: Yeah,
1: Maddie, uh, take it away.
3: His daddy lost the war, so he's living in the north. Now we're somewhere stuck between making another whole case deal great joy with a smile so loud put an arrow through your eye yes deal great joy a lady scream and want to be a king yes deal great joy loyalty speaks but there's something in the rings is the one great joy
1: another good one i'm
2: pleased with that one
1: so this
2: this chapter kind of reminded me of the movie home alone <laughs> jerk do you guys remember that one of I course so, right
0: i so cannot draw the parallel that you're making <laughs>
2: <Well. laughs> hit me with it i'm so curious <laughs> the you know the epic scene that it's known for is the the last whatever fourth third of fourth of the movie where it's the whole home invasion right yeah and the the burglars who are trying to get into little Kevin's home are just humiliated time and time again. And they never stop. They never, they don't give up. They just keep going at stepping into each booby trap that Kevin lays them, and they're humiliated over and over and over again. Joe Pesci and, uh, and
0: Daniel Stern, some great physical acting in that film. Just-
2: yeah. And that's, that's Theon. That's Theon in this chapter. Just constant humiliation. <laughs> You know, That's the, a
1: good parallel.
0: It is a good
2: parallel. The constant Theon.
1: humiliation and constantly getting his cock touched by his own sister. I don't remember that you
0: know, part from Pesci. <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't remember him.
0: Was he doing the stroking, was that it, much?:
1: was it Daniel
0: Stern doing the stroking? I don't remember.
2: I, I bet it was Pesci.
0: Yeah.
2: That sounds like a Pesci thing to do. Uh, but it's almost to the point, like in that movie, you stop. Not liking the burglars, and you start to actually pity them a little bit. Um, that's kind of how this chapter felt for me. So, we begin with Theon down at Lordsport, which is the largest town in the Iron Islands, where the- Theon's checking out his new ride, a beautiful newly built longship. Not too big, not too small, just right. Checking it out, he meets the gal who he'd certainly liked to be his new ride. He describes her as Uh, He liked what he saw. Theon tends to do that. Ironborn, he knew at a glance, lean and long-legged, with black hair cut short, wind-chafed skin, strong, sure hands, a dirk at her belt. Her nose was too big and too sharp for her thin face, but her smile made up for it. He judged her a few years older than he was, but no more than five and twenty. She moved as if she were used to a deck beneath her feet. (whistles) uh obviously liking uh, yeah. what he sees he starts coming on to her in ways that would make even the whispering wood blush uh, doling out such effective romantic and tender one-liners as my cock's gone hard is a mast for you and suggesting they bless the inside of his new ship with their bodily fluids <laughs>
1: <clears throat> yeah, can i just interject for one second and remind everybody that Theon had a raging boner for like this entire chapter.
2: Yes, he did. Yeah. He's gonna have to start calling his doctor for an <laughs> erection lasting longer than four hours.
0: And while we're interrupting Matt's summary, I'll just say I promised earlier in the cast that, that uh, the dirty side of me would come out. I love this dirty flirting. Reading this was just delectable. I loved it. Thought it was so enjoyable. <laughs> for now. For now. No, oh, no, I thought just the flirting in general is just great.
2: Uh, even after she claims to be married to the man who built the boat and that she's also pregnant, Theon even offers to drink her breast milk <laughs> and explains how cool of a story it will be to tell her future kids that she once got it on with a quote-unquote king. Like, so how could you not just, you know, just be in love with this guy? Brooke, do you need some time to, like, go freshen up now after hearing all of that? You all right?
1: Oh, boy. Yeah. We just time um, out for five minutes. Come back.
2: <laughs> so the woman, uh, whose name is Esgrid, plays coy, but she's a little flirty still. And uh, like Brooke said, she uh, she touches old Theon's tallywhacker yeah. an uncomfortable number of times.
0: <laughs> Listen, this is why... This is why uh, so Theon's a creep, all right? Full disclosure, I agree. But... She's bringing him along. He's throwing it out there, but she's playing, (laughs) right? right? This is not like a one-way street. No one's
2: arguing with you. No one's arguing with you on that point, buddy. All right. Um, So Theon convinces her to go back to Pike with him and be his date at a feast that night that his father is throwing. She agrees to go and rides back with him on the same horse. Uh, Her in front, him in back. That's important to the rest of the story. Uh, On their way back, they chat rather innocently, as Theon believes. um, And disarmed by kind of Esgrid's charm, Theon's surprisingly open about his feelings for his family and his new situation. um, For, you know, this being a girl he's just met. Uh, About as open as he is about trying to feel her up, which he tries to do a number of times on the write-up. That's not a roll of quarters in his trousers. Um, dimes, on their way back, they chat. Uh, <laughs> let's not That's give so this man sad. too much credit here. <laughs> uh, as they arrive back at Pike at the castle, Theon's surprised when the dogs run up to them, seeming to recognize Esgrid. And then the people do too. And it's then that Theon is hit with perhaps one of the biggest Ew moments we've had in an already ew series that Esgrid is actually Asha Greyjoy, Theon's little sister. Ew. Oh, Jimmy Fallon. Oh,
1: but she got him good.
2: She sure did.
1: Oh, she is masterful.
2: But as humiliating as that is to find out, Theon's confident he can get past it. You know, it's just his sister. She's the only one that knows besides like his squire and stuff. Um, but little did he know that, you know, it, attacking the Home Alone house, all he's done is slip down the slippery flight of stairs and maybe touch the burning doorknob. that's as far as he's gotten so far in a night that's sure to be even more humiliating. Um, so he goes to dinner dressed to impress his dad devoid of that jewelry that got him made fun of before by his Papa bear. He gets there only to find that the seat of honor at the feast at his father's right hand, the seat that's generally reserved for the heir, Theon is actually filled by Asha and it doesn't appear to be a mistake. She's meant to be sitting there. So he's furious with her and he gets on her case for lying to him, about everything that had just happened that day. At which point she suddenly stands up from the table. Everyone's eating. There's all these bannermen of the Greyjoys and stuff there just having a good time at the feast. She jumps up and shouts the name of one of the men below eating at the, the tables. And without missing a beat, this man turns and flings a hatchet at her. Not like an underhand toss, like he chucks it end over end at her. Theon's visibly and audibly surprised, but Asha manages to easily snatch it right out of the air, and she slams it down into the table in front of Theon, causing his bowl of soup to splatter all over him. So Everyone in the hall sees it, and everyone laughs, not only at Theon's physical appearance now, but the fact that he was so scared and startled by it. Even his father, old crotchety Balon himself, uh, cracks a smile at his son's humiliation. And so it just keeps getting better and better for this young prince. So after a time at dinner, Balon orders Theon, Asha, and Balon's brothers, Victarion, who's the lord captain of Balon's fleet, and old crazy uncle, Aeron, to go with him, where he's planning to present his plan for northern invasion. So they leave the dinner and they go off by themselves. And they find out that the plan is actually going to begin with Theon. So you can imagine his ears perked up. Finally, something good, good is going to happen for the day. Oh no! We find out that Theon's only given eight ships, and ordered to harry the stony shore. So Scott, let's get a Sakan here.
0: Sakan sus mapas, and uh, it has come to my attention that uh, we need maybe a little explanation about Sakan sus mapas. Sakan sus mapas is not an actual map somewhere that you can find in the world. It just is Spanish for "get out your maps." it's actually, take my, my Spanish teacher in middle school said about 15 times a day, sacan sus listas, get out your lists, which was our vocabulary lists. And so I've co-opted that <laughs> for sacan sus mapas. And it just means look at the maps in front of your book. We're not referring to any specific map. However, there is a map that we love, the Galanix map, and we'll link that. Um, I recommend using it uh, for anything you want to, especially if you're like, trying to measure distances and stuff. It's really cool.
2: Yeah, we've linked it on Twitter before, but yeah. um, we've gotten a lot of new listeners since then and stuff, and it'd probably be worth it to do it again. Yeah.
0: So, Sakansus
2: Mapas. Sakansus Mapas, so we can see what Balon's uh, big battle plan is that he's been sitting on ever since the Great Joy Rebellion, or developing at least. Uh, so, if you open it up to the map of the north and you look to the west side of the north, uh, Theon is going to take eight ships and kind of start attacking or harrying as they call it, the Stony Shore. So you'll find the Stony Shore there uh, right above Blazewater Bay. It's kind of a really shallow peninsula, but that's Theon's job, with only eight ships, and he is indignant that he's only given eight ships in such a small assignment. And indeed, Balon doesn't seem to care very much. He says that, uh, Balon says, maybe you'll draw some northern lords to you, and we can use you kind of as a diversion. But he doesn't seem to care too much. Then. And Asha, for her part, is given 30 ships to go past Theon and around Sea Dragon Point. So she's going to go up and around, and then you might see where Bear Island is. She's going to come around in there, and she's going to attack and take Deepwood Mott. So that's a castle there uh, headed by the Glover family, which is uh, some of Edard's buddies. So she's supposed to take Deepwood Mott uh, with 30 ships. So... Theon gets eight, she gets 30. Now, for the third wave of the attack, that's actually going to be Victarion, um, Balon's brother, the Lord Commander of the Fleet, or the Lord Captain of the Fleet. He's actually going a little bit lower. He's under the Stony Shore. He's going to go into Blazewater Bay. So, if you look south, right by the neck, that's where he is. He's going to go into Blazewater Bay and go actually inward uh, along the Salt Spear and then along that Fever River. Up right to the left of mo Kalen, right west of Mok Kalen. So he's gonna sail all the way up into there, and then on foot he's gonna take his men and they're gonna take and inhabit mo Kalen with the uh idea of keeping Rob Stark out of the north. So if Rob Stark can't get back in to help, Balon is confident that he can then move out, move, make his way through the north, uh taking, you know, house after house until he's He's overrun the place. Alrighty then. So that's uh, that's his big grand plan. I don't quite understand it yet. Uh, you know, just looking at the Iron Islands, they can they can do they have enough fighting men that could occupy all of the North? I'm just, I'm not sure.
0: God damn it, Matt. I brought up the same point last time and you argued goes. with me. I said the same thing. Like, what are they going to do with the North? And you're like it's just about having land.
2: Okay, well that's not the same thing.
0: Good Matt impression.
2: You you were saying it in the sense of you know what are they going to do with it? It's just a bunch of green hills and and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm saying I don't think they have enough men to take it okay. and hold it. And I guess that's kind of the same thing. Well, that's
0: what yeah, that's what I meant. Like, the holding part, like ten years down the line, like who's gonna? What are they gonna be doing with the land? Like, is, are there going to be people there sitting there farming it, holding yeah, it?
1: Like, I think we were yeah, that's given what,
0: that's
2: what I don't get is how are they gonna like garrison all the different yeah. castles and keep in check all the people that they're overtaking and like, I just don't understand That's yet. kind
0: of, that's yeah. kinda of what I meant in the last one. Maybe I didn't say it very well.
1: I think though we're getting more and more the impression that Balon doesn't have um a thirst for wealth. What he has more specifically is a thirst for the old ways, which is, you know, um Paying the iron price. Yes. Um, sacking, raping, taking thralls, taking salt wives. He just, he just wants to consume, really. And I don't think yeah. he's given any thought to how he's right. going to yeah. hold garrisons or what he's going to do with the land. He doesn't actually care. He's kind of like Robert Baratheon. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, just
4: take. We'll yeah, figure the just, rest out.
1: He just he just wants to conquer. That's what he's in it for. Fuck all the rest. And I'm hoping that Asha has a little more head on her shoulders. And I think she does have a little more head on her shoulders. And that she will actually... Because she even says when she's commanded to take the Deepwood Mott, I've always wanted a castle. I think she'd know what to do with it.
0: Yeah. What do you guys think of Asha? Well, I like first, her. First oh, of all, of I have favorites. to defend Triple B. Cause he was not thoughtless and uncaring. He was in love, and that's what he wanted. Just wanted to throw
1: Aww. that in there. True.
0: Uh but I love Asha to answer your question. She's she's the about the only stomachable kraken around.
2: <laughs> Even when they're playing with her brother's pecker.
0: <laughs> I don't I don't hate Tristan Botley. I find that endearing. I find I find <laughs> that whole exchange hilarious. The whole thing it just played. It just, was great just Grimm re- stopped
1: even like interjecting descriptions or adjectives. It was just all dialogue. It was yeah. just them back and forthing for like four pages.
0: yeah, I loved it. so I want to say qu- quickly about what Brooke was saying about Balenburg Greyjoy too and how he just wants to take and wants the old ways. this remind- reading this chapter reminded me partially of uh there's there's a a great line it's my sign off quote tonight in the musical rent. Uh, where one of the lead characters says the opposite of war isn't peace it's creation the
3: the opposite of war isn't peace. it's creation
0: Woo! and the ironborn don't they just don't have any sense of of that there's no sense of creating anything it's just taking and destroying and seizing there's no creating anything once you have it, and so it's I think it's in line with what Brooke's saying about Balon. It's just just take, just havoc, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. murder and destroy. There is there is in no downtime for just like hanging out and making art or that kind of thing. And to your inventing. point,
2: the the gray joy words are we do not sew.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. We just talked ourselves right into the whole point of the grey choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Of course. <laughs> um I uh, had trouble naming this episode because I had two really good choices, and I decided to go with neither one of them. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna save them for like body tattoos.
4: Wow. <laughs> the first one
1: was from the John chapter, and uh, it was other wars. Yeah. okay. I wrote that so in my good. notes. I almost brought. It I know up. you did. Oh. Yeah, so good. Right, the, the 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 Night's Watch has other wars to fight, is what? Uh, Joram Morbit said to john and it's true they do morality aside and that whole discussion aside they got they got a big war to fight with others with others uh oh yeah i guess it's kind of a pun too that's, oh yeah, i like that's it less I wrote it now it down.
0: oh really mm.
1: other wars get it
0: yeah no that's why <laughs> i wrote it down
1: oh really yeah i hate you so much anyways my other choice was <laughs> Theon. People are gonna think we're world. breaking up as
0: a cast after this episode. <laughs> They're like, it's the
1: last episode.
2: We're fine, guys. We're this fine. is how we operate.
0: Okay. We're, um, mo- we're mostly fine. I'm just so, kidding. Oh. Keep going. The okay. other tattoo.
1: The other tattoo is what uh, Asha inspires Theon to name his warship.
0: Yeah, yes. a
2: sea yes. bitch.
1: Yes. Sea bitch. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant.
2: Yes. You want these tattooed on your person, Brooke? Sure do. Okay, can you put one of them like across your collarbone, like you know?
1: I'm not like a real big car person. Oh, Matt's a big tattoo I
2: guy.
0: I forgot about that, Matt. Matt's like uh, a big yeah. tattoo guy.
2: I don't have any myself.
1: You don't?
0: No, he no. just finds it sexy. Oh, yeah. We talked about this You're before, get-
2: especially, especially arms.
1: You're an yeah, adult now.
0: The, the sleeve tattoo want- thing.
2: I think the sleeve tattoo is awfully.
1: I have, have had plans for a leg sleeve for a long time, but my rule is if I want to get a tattoo, I have to decide on a design and then wait a year. And if I still want it a year later, and I've been doing that for like 10 years.
0: <laughs> you <laughs> you guys haven't said... had one that's stuck
1: I haven't had one that's stuck.
0: Do you want my theory on tattoos? Okay. I, you know, I'm not going to, I'll offend a lot of people. I don't, I'll, I'll let's leave it. All right. I don't want to alienate, alienate people.
1: <laughs> is that really really the reason you're not going to say it?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's really the reason. Uh, wait, wait. This is the guy that did the
2: cab driver thing from a while ago, and you're worried about offending people?
0: Speaking of which, do you realize that in this chapter, Theon is the cab driver? He's oh, picking up Asha and taking her home.
2: Yeah, he kind of is. Mm. Mm. I I, I actually really like what Asha has done. Um you know, this is kind of a, a culture, a shame-oriented culture. We, we saw yeah. how Balon treated Theon when he came home and everything. Yeah, And Asha knows that with Theon home now, everything that she's worked for is potentially compromised by him being there now. And um, so she goes a long way to discredit uh, him, yeah. shame him and discredit him. Yeah. Um, both personally, just to him by himself, and also in front of Everybody and all the important people around her. You know what?
0: You know what's interesting. The whole first three quarters of this chapter is really just to show how much of a fish out of water uh, Tyrion, Theon really is, how not Ironborn he is, and it's really just summed up in one metaphor. And George could have spent a lot, saved a lot of time. Although I love the chapter, so I'm glad he didn't. Theon goes to great lengths to tell us about his horse. No Ironborn in the entire Iron Islands gives a shit about how great your horse is. Right. Uh-huh. And Theon goes to great lengths to be prideful about it. It's it's a, it's the whole three quarters of the chapter summed up. Theon doesn't belong here. He gets right. embarrassed at the feast. Osh is in his place. His dad doesn't respect him. Even his squire... Goes along with the Jape and doesn't <laughs> yeah. warn him. Like no one respects him because he's not Ironborn. He doesn't fit in. And the horse is a metaphor for the whole thing.
2: He actually does have some really valuable qualities. Like the, he's a good horseman. He's got good knowledge of the North. He's good proven marksman. in land battle. He's a good marksman. He's fought besides Rob's. He's beside Rob Stark and led men. Got an appreciation but, uh, for
0: wine. Yeah. Uh-oh.
2: So. <laughs> But it, the, the, like you said, these are all just things that the Ironborn simply don't care about. Yeah. And so that kind of combined with his constantly trying to like assert authority rather than earn respect just works to his detriment. He's completely out of his element. And, and you know, going back to our uh, Varus story and we've t- touched on a lot is that power resides where people think it resides. And right now people think power resides with Asha and it's going to stay that way for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, did you catch that part where Balon even referred to Asha as his, his son? Daughter. Yes. He says, when my sons have yeah. struck their blows. Yeah. Refer- he's talking to Victorion. He says, when my sons have struck their blows, then you're going to move in.
0: How'd you miss that, Brooke? He's, on- I did
2: he's only got that. one son. He's well, only got one son.
1: Yeah, that good catch. Left. Yeah. The
2: others have died. He had more, but they died during the Greyjoy Rebellion.
1: Well, I like that when he was having his little council and he was giving out instructions, he said, Asha, my daughter. Like,
2: mm-hmm. like
1: as if he went out of his way to tell everyone in that room who know very well who she is in relation to Balon. Yeah. She is his daughter, Theon, not his son.
2: You. you are, he doesn't
1: even say his name. Yeah. Just you.
2: And you are, you as my daughter, I'm still going to give you a position mm-hmm. of, of authority
1: and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Asha's so great. Yeah. And that whole, the whole uh, craft grabbing thing. (laughs) Theon should have been all over that, right? No matter who was grabbing his his dick, even after he knew who Asha was. But she used it as a total dominance tactic, and he was dominated. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's such an invasive
2: thing to do. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. So great. Yeah.
0: I, on that on that point, I love in the in the flirting stuff, the dirty flirting that I love so much. At one point, Theon actually says to her, uh, "Would it?" I think Matt kind of went to it in the in the summary, but he says, "Someday you can tell your kids that you loved a king," and she says she says something about, "Oh, it's love now. You're talking about love. I thought it was cocks and cunts," and uh, it reminded me. Of this great Well this great band called Free They're one of my favorite bands But uh, their most famous song Alright Now It's basically just a song about a guy Trying to hook up with a girl Pretty common theme But uh, he's he's talking to her He says don't you think that love can last And she says love Now you're trying to trick me in love Like I thought you were just trying to hit on me Like when did love come <laughs> a part of this and That uh, that whole exchange with, with Ash and Theon reminded me of that song Thought I'd just drop that reference in
1: you guys do associate a lot of songs with the books, which I appreciate. It never hits me <laughs> I'm, like I'm just reading a book. It's like Matt's whole world.
2: Music yeah. is just ingrained into me. I've got a song for pretty much anything.
1: I appreciate that. Uh, let's let's dabble after dark. What do you guys say?
0: Yeah, we do. Let's we do should. It. Yep.
1: Okay. Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. We are about to enter the spoilery part of our podcast, so um, sign off if you want to stay unspoiled for the rest of the series. And join us in two weeks where we will be covering Tyrion 6, Arya 6. Wait, that's not right. Oh my god, it is right. It probably Holy is right. Crap.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're moving along.
1: No kidding. We are what? chugging through this book. This
0: episode was 90 pages. Ugh. 90.
1: Yeah. It felt like a lot. Chapters
2: yeah. are getting so long. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, next episode in two weeks, episode 23, we'll be covering Tyrion 6, Arya 6, Danny 2, Bran 4, and Tyrion 7. That's chapters 25 to 29, according to a wiki of Ice and Fire. Looking forward to talking to you guys then. Now it's Davos after dark.
3: Davos after
0: dark. Did you say boop, Danny boop. too?
3: Yeah. We're 400 yeah, we, pages we had, into
0: this book and we've had one Danny chapter. That's crazy.
1: Yeah.
2: It's very Arya heavy for this first part anyways. And mm-hmm. Tyrion obviously.
0: Yeah.
1: Love the Tyrion. Good. Could be all Tyrion. Anything big you guys want to discuss before you start talking about Renly and Loras?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have very little lot to offer on Renly and Loris
1: me too. Let's go there. Let's go there. Uh, well I don't really have much to talk about either other than <laughs> okay. they're gay well they're it's it's interesting rereading knowing their relationship and mm-hmm. picking up on all those little clues and I was being facetious with the rainbow cloak thing. Obviously I know you were this wasn't. Like a symbol of the, the melting LGBT pot, LGBT uh, whatever community at this time in this universe. But it's—I uh, think like, it was George hinting there, <laughs> you know, yeah. Again, uh, but the the little things like like Renly giving all of his attention to Loras at the feast, still yeah. you know being kind and and somewhat attentive to Marjorie, but. Obviously, the majority of his attention dedicated to Japen and chatting with Loris. It's the
0: way he writes it. I mean, the very like, the, all the way down to the choice of the individual words he uses that make it subtle enough that you can miss it when you're reading it. But on rereading, you're like, "That's so obvious, right?" Mm-hmm. It's.
1: Uh,
2: I've seen Sir Loris unhorsed once or twice, but never quite in that
0: fashion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Mm. So trolly but I think one of the most telling hints is the way that Renley treats Brianne. and that most men, when confronted with um, uh, an extremely unattractive woman that much in their face, would,
2: they put a guard up.
1: They would definitely put a guard up so nobody thinks that maybe they're sexually interested in that woman. Gotta make mm. sure that you know that's very clear. She knows where my baby is. so immature and annoying and just so, just don't even get started. But for a gay man, they don't care. Brianne has plenty of other excellent qualities that Renly wants to capitalize on. She wants to be a member of his personal guard and like, literally risk her life for him he's like great i don't give a shit what you look like because i'm not sexually interested in you
2: you just beat up my boyfriend you're in Uh, oh
1: yeah (laughs) and that helps too (laughs) obviously renley's gonna be reminding Lawrence of that later yeah (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's that's pillow talk
1: i think that's the sign of a healthy relationship when they can make fun of each other
0: yeah.
2: So one question that kind of goes along with that that is never explicitly answered in the books up to this point is whether Renly and Marjorie ever uh consummated their marriage.
0: Well, it's that, it's stated, it's stated that they never steal, did.
1: Well, later. when they sell Marjorie to Joffrey later, they definitely say that she is still pure. Yeah,
0: that's what I mean. They, right. say, and, they stayed in the but books that never they never did. But then the maester says
2: that apparently, because the maesters apparently examine the women to make sure, they say that her hymen was broken, Um, and then Cersei says, well, but that could have happened just from riding a horse a lot. Yeah, as Chasing Amy will
0: tell us, you can fall on a fence post and break your hymen.
2: Right. So we're never explicitly told, um, at least in the study that I went back and did, that it wasn't so. We don't know if Marjorie's yeah, we or not. She was sleeping
1: with everybody. I mean, uh, Catelyn's first glimpse of her. She was very um, demure and quiet and gentle. But we know that Maj- Marjorie has like a little rose heart of steel.
2: Yeah, she does. And who knows if she was like if her and Loris were kind of you know together in on this and yeah you can have him behind closed doors and, but I get him out in public or, this uh, is good for the family
1: yeah that's, uh, that's pretty much all I want to cover <laughs> it's,
0: inter- it's interesting Brooke you brought up the thing about, about uh, men putting up defenses with unattractive women because they don't want them to think they're interested sexually I've never had to deal with this and it's something you may not have thought of us unattractive guys we don't have to worry about that either <sighs>
1: Uh, so. No, no defenses okay. necessary. I'll, I'll put a little something on your line there, Skats.
0: It's nice. You're
1: not an unattractive
0: guy. Oh, come on. <laughs> Just play along for the sake of the cast, Brooke.
1: Oh boy, My we all know city how for men whose beauty standards are significantly lower than women's is pretty much zero. So no. <laughs> I'm not going to see eye to eye you on this one. <laughs> yeah, talk to me when you can get away with not wearing makeup and still be beautiful.
0: I get away with that every day.
1: Exactly.
0: You said, Tell me, talk to me when you can get away with it. Okay. I'm confused. And I can't get away with it on stage. Uh, so, what next?
1: Okay. So, and Reed, I think. We've like we don't even have to Davos after dark. This like it's we right. don't know where he is. We don't know if we're ever going to see him. His children are so far away from him at this point that that connection is lost.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny. Howland Reed is a character that uh, without the predominant theory of RLJ being around, no one would give a shit about Howland Reed, <laughs> right? Yeah. If if RLJ weren't like a big thing, he'd be like, oh, well, you know, he's involved in that battle and he saved Ned's life. Cool war hero. But like, would anyone care where he was and what he was doing? But that one theory you're, has you're driven right. all this other speculation about this other character, which might be considered minor without this theory. It's kind of interesting. Yeah,
2: he's he's the keeper of the of the great secret. As yeah. George does go to great lengths to say, you know, Howland and Ned are the only ones that came out of this. And I did find a "So Spake Martin," uh, you know, like a they compile everything that George R. R. Martin has said outside of the books about yeah. characters and stuff. Uh, and Howland, he does say that Howland Reed will make an appearance in the books. So we Whatever. are going to we'll see get, him we'll at get some like point. a view
0: of his corpse or something. He's like, "See, here he is." <laughs>
2: Isn't there some sort of theory that he's the high se- uh, the high sparrow?
0: There is. There is this high septon. Yeah. Uh, there is that theory. Yeah. Howland
1: Reed is the high septon. I don't
0: see it either. I don't get it. I, I mean, the, the I've, new
2: one that comes in at a, a feast for crows and the, a dance with dragons. They
0: describe him. They describe him physically similarly as you would describe anyone from the neck, slight and skinny, and brown hair, kind of just kind of plain looking. That's how they describe this guy. But I, like Howland doesn't even follow those gods. Like he would have had to put on some act and like. I don't know, it seems like Oh, well yeah,
2: I I totally think he could do that, though. Just to infiltrate King's Landing, he could be like, I I worship the Seven, why not?
0: Why do you think that? We don't have any, I mean, we know nothing about this guy. Like, in these theories with Hound, people are just attributing things like, oh, he's this warrior that can fight, and other people are like, we've never seen any evidence of that. And they're like, oh, he's the High Septon. Like, can he act? Who knows what this guy's... like. It's just, it's all theories.
2: No, I i agree with you. I mean, I don't know anything about the theory, so that's why I was bringing it up. But I, saw, still, I saw. I'm just thinking about all this at the same time. It's possible. Also, this, this the the High Septon is this new one. He's supposed to be a little bit old, if I remember right. They talk about him being, yep. like, he's got a really lined face and everything. And Howland Reed uh, wouldn't be much older than Ned, which is, like, 30s. So Yeah, yeah, late 30s
0: <laughs> by now. Anyways. Yeah, it, there's also theories that... Uh, Howland Reed is the one that Ashara fell in love with and that Ashara and Arthur Dane are actually still alive in the neck. Like there's all sorts of crap about Howland Reed out there. People just want to believe so much that he's going to do something like mega important or some huge cog. I'm not saying he won't be. I'd love him to be. It's an interesting path, but
2: I would say the information he has will be important, but yeah, other than that, yeah, I agree. We have no evidence to lead us to believe that yeah. he's anything more than a guy who knows a secret. Yeah. And that's not giving him a lot of credit. He's obviously a very capable leader and stuff like that. So.
0: The Reeds in general, are, though, are just an interesting group of people, right? Like, the right. castle moves. They live in a swamp, basically, surrounded by alligators and shit. Like... Side side and, uh, story about them please. I'd love to learn more about that culture. It sounds totally interesting.
2: remember they're they're doing their part. Uh yep. when Theon goes back to the Ironborn who are stationed at Moat Cailin like we talked about in the normal portion of the cast. Yep. They this crew has just been decimated by the Kranigmen, Yeah. who are sneaking up and shooting them with poisoned with arrows, arrows and yeah. stuff like that. And so yep. totally. They're doing their part. They're contributing yep. in their own special way. Mm-hmm. yeah but where's mm-hmm. howland
0: i don't know who knows love well, to find out. i mean yeah i've i even saw a theory that howland is jojen like people really reach on this stuff man <laughs> like it's, right. it's nuts
1: poor Jojin. Yeah. it feels all
2: like all it's right. really stealing his character yeah um, would he like uh uh, uh like a warg? like he's warging into Jojen, because yeah, Jojen's obviously like a kid.
0: Yeah, I think right? so. Yeah, huh? Merit. I yeah, I think I think that was it that they were saying he's right. him, that he's like super powerful. I mean, again, with the Howland superpowers that we have no evidence of, they're like, yeah, he's a yeah. super powerful warg and he's taking control of his kid, and like, oh my god, I, I think that was how the theory. I don't, I didn't read it all, but. Because I was just looking today at just like all the stuff about Howland, I was just like, "Whoa!" All
1: right. Matt, you brought up a good one. What if Rob had found out about conditions in King's Landing? Would he have attempted an attack? Would he have been so hesitant to move his troops? Um, Would he have just... Skip Tywin and I don't know, gone by boat to King's Landing. Had he known,
0: I don't know, what he could have. I think, well, Tyrion talks a little bit about this in the chapter. He says he, he kind of is sussing out with, with Cersei what the situation is in the Riverlands. And he's like, well, Rob can't get to us through Tywin, Tywin's in the way. There's not, he, mm. can't, he can't just get around him. Seems like he could go south around the God's Eye maybe Tywin right. would intercept him or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't it's think, an interesting I don't question. think
2: Tyrion's considered all the options. Like
0: yeah.
2: Tyrion sees it the way he kind of wants to see it, I think. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, um he probably could have yeah. thought up some way to do it. Uh maybe he brings down um uh Bruce Bolton to kind of distract Tywin while he takes his guys in and attacks.
3: I don't know. Mm.
2: It sound uh, it's a good idea by Tyrion to keep Kleos kinda locked up, definitely.
0: Yeah, so that he can't see. Really
2: really sly move by by Tyrion.
1: Do you guys think that uh Rob should have killed Jamie? Like um Tarly said he should have? Would that have made a difference? Not yet. Because it I think He's would,
2: too big of a bargaining chip, still. Because it kind of would have sated. Dead.
1: It would have sated Catelyn. And. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, well, yeah. I don't think it would have sated Catelyn. Catelyn wants to exchange him for the girls. Um, but. I, I think from a guy like Randall Tarley it makes sense. It's like just remove the threat. Just remove the chess piece from the board. That's your best bet. Just do it. But, it's not Kingly. It's not, it's not the type of man Rob wants to be, so I think it's a character question for him, partially. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it would be the right move to do.
2: And to that, I'm not even sure that I agree with Catelyn still having all this uh, influence and authority to go and be his envoy and stuff like that. He makes the point that there's no one else to send. I don't know. Not that Catelyn's not capable. We've talked about that she is a very capable woman. But I don't know if she wouldn't be better served just going back to Winterfell.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's almost like Rob's just trying to get her, get rid of her, right? That's it. Does seem <laughs> what it like, seems like. I'm tired of you second guessing my my commands. Like, go do this.
2: And, and she and she talks about how you know from her POV you see how emotionally drained she is and yeah. and stuff. She puts on a brave face, but as soon as she's all alone, she just kind of and you get that great foreshadowing of a drowned corpse yeah. when she mm-hmm. looks in the mirror. Yeah. Brooke, you brought that up. Yeah, oh, I did you did
0: catch that
1: foreshadowing? <laughs> yeah. Doing a little trolling that's, of my yeah, own. That's great
0: foreshadowing. Uh, but she, but in the end, she does a great job as envoy, right? I
2: think she does all right.
0: I mean, well,
2: I, she couldn't have predicted the Shadow Baby yeah. was coming. Yeah, kill really, <laughs> but. Yeah. I, I kind of think Renly's idea is, uh, is intriguing.
0: Which I
2: ahead, don't king mind Renly's propos- his, his proposal to her. I don't think it's all that bad of an idea. Well, I know I- Rob doesn't want to swear fealty, but that doesn't sound like a bad gig to me.
1: Renly just putting out the possibility of Rob still being king in the north opens up the negotiations, right? You could probably mm-hmm. get Renly to a place where he'd give up probably not down to the neck which Rob was demanding from Joffrey yeah. but most of the north for sure.
2: Oh, well, well past the neck because like, Rob's saying he's still going to keep his riverlands.
1: Right. Well, yeah, I, The I would,
2: houses that have sworn fealty to him in the riverlands anyways.
1: Yeah. I would say if if they had a if Renly and Rob had a good relationship, Renly had lived, Rob had lived, and they had a mm-hmm. good relationship, and Renly became king in the south and Rob became king in the north, they probably would have, like the, the lords who had sworn to to Rob, it wouldn't have been a bad breakup.
3: Yeah. I like, agree.
1: It, would have, it would have been a good relationship. hmm <sighs>
2: That would have been too easy, though. Too for easy. Old, for this story.
1: Stannis gotta get in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thrown his mind by rights.
2: The one true king. Oh, all our Stannis friends are disappointed. We've hardly talked about him this episode.
1: <laughs> Stannis moving in against his own brother.
0: Yep. Oh, <laughs> I, I would call it Renly moving in against Stannis. Uh, but, yeah.
1: Why do you say that?
0: Because Stannis is the true king. Oh. Red, all of Renly's actions are him moving against Stannis, not the other way around, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> oh. I guess that's an opinion to have.
2: I, oh. I love that point he made that uh, you know Robert took uh, the kingdom by with his warhammer and Renly's going to do the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah, that's fair. I, I, I we've made that point before. I think Brooke said that in her summary. We've made that point on this cast before. Like whatever you can take, it's yours. But, but power then, resides
2: where we think it resides. Sure,
0: but but then to characterize either brother moving against the other one isn't right. They're just both moving to get what they want. It's not really a well.
2: Well, Brooke meant it in a literal sense, right? That he's moving against Renly's castle.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Renly's yeah. moving towards King's Landing, which Stannis thinks is his. I mean, I, it's it's all it's all just depends on what perspective you have, I guess. But
3: okay, all right.
1: Anything else you guys want to discuss?
0: Stannis is the one true king. <laughs>
2: all right. <laughs> I think uh... anyone who has the power to become the king is the one true king.
1: Very true. Yep. Very true.
0: I agree with that.
2: Dragons.
1: Right. Dragons. dragons. Yeah. Well, this will all come to a head when the yeah. dragons come back. Indeed.
2: Let's see, I'm trying to see if we, we cover anything in the John or Theon chapters that we need to. Uh, I wonder if Theon Whoops. had just like been like, "Screw you guys, I'm going home." You know, done a little Cartman and just gone back to Rob.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hire, hire another another uh, ship to take him out with a another daughter he can take advantage of, and then just head back to Rob. This tale yeah, tail, like,
2: it didn't work. it's yeah, like, uh, my, dad said,
0: like my dad said no, and also the North is fucked. They're going to invade soon.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, no way he'd have to sneak out, right? No way Balon's just letting him leave at this point.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that Rob hasn't brought up the fact that Theon's been pretty radio silent over there.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's going on <laughs> up there? i
2: said that
1: guy uh, have you guys told, heard something yet?
0: i told have him you to send ravens yeah. <laughs> you got anything from him yeah that's a good point <laughs> in the john chapter uh there was one little bit from dywin that i thought was interesting he says he says of craster a cold smell to that one there is and mm-hmm. and later um Mormont asks John if he thinks there's anything unnatural about Craster. And he's saying it um he's saying it in a way to indicate that there's not, that he's just a man. But John's thoughts say, yeah, there's like a million things that are unnatural about him. And I wonder if Craster has some other like in him. You know what I mean? Like he's
1: mm. some
0: sort of We've we've heard the Nan tales about like mm. them breeding with with uh, with wildlings and others breeding and stuff. And I, I don't know. I just, I tied that cold smell to that one because the, you know, the others are cold. Yeah. Cold His smell gray hair one. is turning white. Yeah. It just kind of, well, and he's been around for a long time. He's got all these wives. Like, but we know
2: Craster's lineage. Do we? He says, yeah. He's, uh, he says that he's the, um, his dad's a night's watchman and his mom was a wildling.
0: He Wait,
1: says a, one of the black brothers says that,
2: or someone says it. Yeah, I just know that it's said. Yeah. I was reminded of that today as I was studying up. I don't remember if it was Craster who said it or not, well, but, which there could, could or, be could a
1: lady. Be others
2: there apparently has been. If we the, you know, knights, the knights, king, king you know, Knight the knights king, king story. story,
0: yeah, says
2: that there is. But uh, Diwin is one of the better rangers out there. He's one of the best.
3: Uh <laughs> he, yeah, he, he does also That's...
0: He does also kind of fall for like cryptic stories too, <laughs> mm-hmm. like so maybe he's just passing on silly hearth tales. But I don't know. I, just, I thought it, it. Go ahead. I was
2: gonna. Well, I'm, go ahead because mine's kind of moving on a little bit.
0: Well, I just it. I, I just I lumped those two things together. Like they are kind of implying that there is something different about him with those two things. And I just I, I wonder.
2: That is interesting. I just picked it up as. Uh, you know, he's got this relationship with the others, or this agreement with the others, and that's where that sense is coming from for yeah. Um I did find it really interesting that John didn't tell Mormont about what Gilly had told him about it being the others that take the babies.
0: Mm. Oh, I thought he did.
2: Did you catch that? No, he didn't. They talk about Craster's gods and stuff, but Gilly specifically says they have blue eyes, and John relates that to being an other. But he never says to Mormon, hey, he does say I was talking to the girl, but he never says, and guess who she says these gods are? They're blue-eyed, wintry white dudes. I thought that was fascinating. If that was just John forgot about it, or if he purposefully held that information back from Mormont's, but... I don't know. Did he think Mormont wouldn't believe him? That he would pass it off as just being the ramblings of a crazy uh, girl? I don't know.
0: I'm reading. It. I'm rereading it now. Yeah, I thought, it should be
2: last page or two.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm there. I'm just it. That that whole conversation is like John kind of feeling like he's on uneasy ground, right? Like, do I? How do I say this without tip-toeing. insulting him? Yeah, he's tiptoeing exactly. Like, how do I say this? And so, you're right. He could very that well leave central out the actual to their God mission. part. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's central to their mission is to find out, you know, these blue-eyed things, and he decides not to tell Mormont about it. It was weird.
1: Things are only going to get weirder.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeesh. Uh,
1: you guys feel like wrapping up? Yeah, we should. Wrapping yes. this up. Wrap that shit. Thank up. you again everyone for joining us uh this is brooke signing off saying what is dead can never die
2: Ooh, along with that and in the spirit of home alone i'm gonna get this is matt saying i'm gonna give you to the count of 10 to get your ugly yella, no good keister off my property before i pump your guts full of lead <sighs> wow
1: <laughs> nice wow
0: that's Side from that, note. that's from that movie he keeps watching, right? Devil's something. Yeah. Uh my sign off is advice to the ironborn. The opposite of war isn't peace, it's creation. From the musical Rent. Good night everyone.
3: Good night. Good night
0: my friends. Baby,
4: She said, love, love above. Now it's gonna trick
1: me in love. At some it point sold over out. the next seven months, though, we have to discuss Star Wars.
0: We We, yeah, do, we'll we chatted about this a little, didn't we, on Skype, Brooke, about...
1: We did. You we know, were
0: talking about like, doing a group kind of thing. Which mm-hmm. sounds dirtier than I meant it to. Uh, yeah.
2: Hey, we've been friends for a while now.
0: Indeed. This is actually slower than I've ever moved before. <laughs> All right. I'm just waiting, man. I, I'll, I, will, I will wait you out.
1: When that grope finally comes, it'll be like, finally.
2: <laughs> we've, been, we've been going for a while.
1: We have. I need, I feel- I need to put my head upon a pillow.
0: I feel like I've been extremely negative this episode, and for that, I should apologize to everyone. Have I just been like contradicting everything? I feel like I have been. We've
2: we've we've, we've disagreed a lot this episode. That's it good. was uh, it was kind of fun. I enjoyed it. Let's try to do this more often. Let's try to be more disagreeable.
1: Done. I mean, it's
2: right.
0: my nature. So done and done.
1: You are Dolores Scad.
0: Yeah.